Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. And as you're finding your way there, either in your Bible or on your device that may have the Bible on it, let me just introduce this message by saying the Bible says 365 times someone has taken the time and trouble to count them. 365 times God speaks through His Word and He says, Do not fear. That would suggest that fear is widespread. It takes various forms. I did a little research for the message and discovered some forms that I was not familiar with. For instance, kytophobia, the fear of hair. That's problematic for most of us because all of us have hair. At least most of us have it. And then I like this one, ergophobia, fear of work. Where I come from, that's called laziness, actually. <laughs> I think of one of my boyhood favorite TV programs, Dobie Gillis. And there was a beatnik named Maynard G. Krebs. Bob Denver played the role. And every time somebody else, and even out of his own mouth, he would say work, it would just scare him out of his wits. He had ergophobia, for sure. Then there's... Pogonophobia. You're wondering what that means. It's the fear of beards. That's becoming more widespread these days, by the way. (laughs) Men are letting their beards grow a little more than they used to. And then cumpoinophobia. It's the fear of buttons. People who have this phobia can't wear clothes with buttons on them. It's wild, isn't it? Disposophobia. This is seen in hoarders. There is the phobia, ophidiophobia, and this is the fear of snakes. There's a biblical character who had a fear of snakes. He's a great figure in Scripture. We're going to talk about him to a great degree today. Moses had a fear of snakes. Remember when God told him to take his staff and throw it down, and it immediately became a snake, and then he began to run from it? He was afraid of snakes, and I would have been doing the very same thing if that had happened. So I suffer from this condition as well. There's glossophobia. Probably there's more than one person in this room who has that kind of fear. It's the fear of speaking in front of people. Well, here again, Moses was a man who had this kind of fear. When he was debating with God as to whether God was making the right choice to send him to Pharaoh to get release of his people, that is, the people of Moses, the Israelites, after their having been in captivity for four centuries, he said, Lord, speaking of himself, your servant is not eloquent now, nor has he ever been eloquent. He is slow of speech and of tongue. He was fearful of speaking in front of people. Now, the Bible seems to contradict itself, In this regard, because in the book of Acts, you may remember, when Stephen is before the Sanhedrin, he's defending Christ, he's telling the story of Israel. And when he gets to Moses, he says Moses was an outstanding speaker. Is there a contradiction? No. In the eyes of Moses, he couldn't speak well. What he's really saying, I believe, is, I'm afraid of talking in front of people. But God helped him to overcome that, obviously. He went and he spoke eloquently for God 
before the Pharaoh and finally secured the release with the power of God of those captives. There is gynophobia, the fear of women. Some of you have that fear. (laughs) But there's a man in Scripture who had it, a godly man, one of two men who never died. His name was Elijah. After he had been used by God to wipe out all the prophets of Baal and some prophets of Asherah, he faced off one man against hundreds and he eliminated them all powerfully. And when that was over, a memo reached him from Jezebel, the wicked queen of the north. And she said, I'm going to do to you what you did to my prophets. Because they were her prophets. Baal was her God. And they really served her as the queen of the northern kingdom of Israel. And what Elijah did is, the scripture said he was afraid of her. He was gynophobic. And he ran away. Now these are godly men. Moses, who would argue? I would suggest that Moses next to Jesus is the greatest person who's ever lived. And then Elijah, as I've already mentioned, only one of two men who, because of his closeness to the Lord, he was just taken right up. Then we have Abraham, the prototypical person of faith, the father of Israel, the father of all true believing people who have set apart Christ as Lord in their hearts. He is our spiritual father, but he had fears as well. You may recall on two occasions... He was going into hostile territory. He was a nomad. He was a nobody. He had a beautiful wife named Sarah. And he was afraid that Abimelech and Pharaoh would kill him to get her in their harem. And certainly, they were taken temporarily into those... She was taken into those harems. But the Lord delivered her. And this is what Abraham told her to tell Pharaoh and Abimelech. Tell them that you're my sister, because I'm afraid they'll kill me. You're so good looking, so they can have you to themselves. Well, it was sort of a half-truth, because she was his half-sister. They had the same father, different mothers. But nevertheless, he was a coward. And this is the man which is held up, the only man who is by name called the friend of God in Scripture. So the Bible is littered with people just like you and me who fear things. And I don't care how brave a person may look, there is something that every person in this room fears. We're going to turn our attention now to a man named Joshua. He was the personal aide to Moses. For 40 years, he apprenticed for the job he was about to undertake under Moses. Moses is gone now. Let's read about it. Joshua 1, 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, 
so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you for wherever you go. Now, glance down the page to the last sentence in this chapter, in verse 18, the last sentence, only be strong and courageous. Four times, God speaks to this man Joshua to be strong and courageous. He was having a lapse of courage. And the question for us would be, what were the objects of his fear. We can see a relevance to our lives. This is really a mirror into which we're looking today when we look into the life of Joshua and we can see in his life the same sort of fears that we wrestle with. The first of which I would say was the fear of people. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty nine twenty five, the fear of man brings a snare. That means fearing people is a trap. Have you ever been caught in that trap, fearing people? Joshua, I believe, was. One of the reasons I say that is because the way that God begins to speak to him about his assignment, he says, Moses is dead. I'm of the opinion that Joshua was wrestling with the whole idea of taking over the responsibility of this vast nation of people, probably a million and a half to two million people, counting the women and the children. They weren't counted in the census, only the males over 20, and there were 600 plus thousand of them. You do the math, and you'll see why I say there was that large number. And the people of God had given Moses fits for 40 years. And Joshua was a close-up eyewitness of the mistreatment that Moses had received from those people. Time will not allow us to look at all the examples. I'd like to invite you, however, to turn to the 11th chapter of Numbers. And we read the story of the people who were in the wilderness and they were grumbling against Moses. They had been given manna from heaven, a big group of people to be fed every morning with the exception of the Sabbath. This mysterious stuff came down and it coated the ground like dew. And when they began to gather it, according to God's instructions, they discovered it was somewhat like coriander seed and honey. It had a good flavor and it was there for them every day. Every person was to gather enough for himself or herself. And on the sixth day, what we would call Friday, the sixth day, they would gather twice as much because they couldn't gather it on the Sabbath because that would be working. Now they were getting tired of this and they were 
wanting some meat to eat. And look at what Moses heard in verse 10 of chapter 11. Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, put me to death right now. Wow, he was really burdened. If I have found favor in your eyes, and do, let, do not let me face my own ruin. So, Joshua had witnessed the stress and strain that came into Moses' life because God had placed him in this position of leadership. And I would suggest to you, he was afraid the same thing would happen to him. Moses is dead. Now it's your turn to pick up the baton. After all, Joshua, you've had 40 years of training, and you should know how to pull this off with my help. You'll trust me, just like Moses did. Moses was also rejected by his family. His big sister, his big brother, they rejected him. All kinds of rejection. But there was another set of people, in addition to the Israelites, that troubled Joshua. We would have to go back to the 13th chapter of Numbers. Remember, when the children of Israel exited Egypt, they came to the place of crossing into the Promised Land. God told Moses, select one leader from every tribe of the twelve tribes, and send them in as a group of spies to spy out the land, to see if the land is indeed what I said it was, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so Moses did as the Lord told him, appointed twelve men, among the twelve was Joshua. These men went in and did their spying for forty days, when they were getting ready to leave to give evidence that what God had said about the land was true, they went to a valley which later became known as Eskol. And Eskol in Hebrew means cluster. They took one cluster of grapes. It says they cut a limb off, took one cluster of grapes. It took two men who were assigned to carry that cluster of grapes. It was such a heavy fruit. Also on that pole were figs and pomegranates. And so they brought them back as evidence. And you can imagine what people thought when they saw them coming in, something they had never said before. And all the people said, it is as the Lord told us, the promised land is a land flowing with milk and honey. However, the majority of the spies, ten of them, said, But it's not a place for us to be, because the people there are giants. In fact, they're so much bigger than we, we look like grasshoppers to them. And that's the way we see ourselves in relationship to them. We're like grasshoppers. And therefore, we need not go in. And that created such a clamor 
And here again, it's something that Moses had to deal with. All the clamoring and the whining and the complaining, they said, we're not going in, we're not going in. Can you imagine over 600,000 men, not to mention the women and children, saying we're not going in? There were two men out of 603,000 plus, those two men, Joshua and Caleb, men of faith, said, it is true, these Anakim are huge. And if you know your Bible, you know that Goliath, the man that David faced off with, was a descendant of Anak. And he was nine and a half feet tall. Can you imagine taking on a whole army of people nine and a half feet tall? Incredible. That would have been enough to scare anybody from going into the promised land. But over the years, 40 years had passed, and as the time came to go into the land, I would imagine that the devil was whispering in the ear of Joshua and bringing to mind what he had seen in terms of these giants, which would have caused him to be hesitant to take over the reins and follow the Lord's leadership into the land. Do you ever deal with fear of man, fear of people, fear that you'll be rejected by people if you follow the Lord, fear of persecution because of your identification with Christ? Do you ever fear that? Some of you have experienced it. Recently, we looked at the Apostle Paul in Corinth. You remember how he describes his arrival in Corinth? In 1 Corinthians 2, he says, Remember, when I came to you, I did not come with wise and persuasive words, but I came in fear and trembling to you. Here is the great apostle fearing and trembling as he comes to bring the message of the gospel. And he was fresh off a heavy persecution. Heavy physical problems had come. He had been stoned recently and left for dead. And God comes to him in a vision. We learn these verses. Hopefully you've committed them to memory. And the Scripture says that God said to him, Jesus, in fact, said to him in a vision, Do not be afraid. I am with you. I have many people in this city. And he took heart from that. And he was able to go forward. And there were many who came to faith in Jesus. If he had left too early, the Lord would not have used him as he did. So even the great Apostle Paul had the fear of man. It's not uncommon. I think... Also, Joshua not only had the fear of people, but he had the fear of failure. And this is another reason I'm sure that God says to him, when he begins to speak to him, Moses is dead. In other words, it's your time. Moses is dead. And he probably thought like this. this is, I'm putting myself in Joshua's shoes. I would have thought, can I really fill the shoes of Moses? Moses was the great lawgiver. Moses is the one who had intimacy in relationship with God on Mount Sinai. Moses is the one who was the great judge. And Moses was a great scholar. It was he who penned the book of the law that I'm to meditate on day and night. He was a man of letters. He was a man who was a man who was a godly man. And am I to take his place? Have any of you ever been called on to succeed somebody who is a legend? It's not easy. Not that I've had the experience, but I've witnessed others. 
It's a difficult, it takes a courageous person to do that. And God knew that would be something because he looked into the heart of Joshua and he sensed the fear of failure on his part. In addition to that, Moses was the most humble man on earth at that time. Numbers 12 tells us, Do you fear failure in your life? Fear of failure has haunted many, if not most of us. Especially as it relates to our spiritual life. How can we do what God's given us to do? I'm not capable of it. I'm inadequate. Last week, we saw this great text in Philippians where the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ or Him who gives me strength. I can't do anything by myself is what Paul would say, but in Christ I can do whatever assignment the Lord has given me to do. That's true for us as well. Does Jesus Christ live in you? In most of us, He dwells. And if He lives in us, He can live and desires to live His life through us. And we need to grab hold of that truth and believe that the way we fail is not to go forward. It's to retreat. The way we fail is not to follow Jesus and imitate Christ as Paul imitated Christ. We are to be in that mode. Paul was one who wrestled with this, undoubtedly. This man Joshua was too. Joshua's objects of fear. People and failure. The third thing And the last thing I think that would have haunted him was the fear of death. We read from Hebrews 2, where the Bible tells us that Jesus became one of us. That took a lot of courage. Incredible. Remember, he took upon himself our death. He became death for us. And the Bible says, he is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, so that He could secure our salvation. And a big part of that is, according to Hebrews 2.15, is that He destroyed the power of Satan, who has the power of death in some way over us, and He sets us free from the fear of death. If this is an ordinary gathering of people, then there are many people present today who are haunted by the thought of death. And for good reason. The Bible says God has put eternity in the heart of every human being. And as a result of that, we have a sense that there is coming a day of reckoning for us. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 9 that is appointed unto man, all of us, male and female, to die. We will stand before the Father someday and give an accounting of our lives. After death comes the judgment. Do you know what the good news is for us? Jesus was condemned. He was judged for us. He became sin for us. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 18, perfect love, that would be referring to the love of God for us, casts out fear, for fear involves punishment. Do you know, we who know Jesus do not face punishment? When this physical life ends. Because there is no condemnation for us who in Christ Jesus. That does not lead us to be proud. That withers me when I think about it. In light of 67 years full of sin. 
And how the Lord took all of that upon Himself so that I can be free. I don't have to live in fear of dying. I can look forward to dying. Just like Paul, he says, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Why can I look forward to it? Why did Paul look forward to it? It's because I will be in the presence of Christ and He has forgiven all my sin. And as we saw two Sundays ago in the book of John, He is the judge. He will be the one who judges us. It's been delegated to Him by God the Father to be our judge. Read about it in the fifth chapter of John. And what we know is, perfect love casts out fear. He loves us perfectly. Because it involves punishment, we fear death. But we who know Jesus, we have no fear. And as an aside, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I would make a beeline to Him today if I were you. Because the judgment will be without relief. The judgment that is spoken of lasts forever. It's called eternal destruction. Those two words don't even fit in our way of thinking. It goes on and on and on ad infinitum. And so come to Christ. Be done with your fear. Embrace what Jesus has done for you and dying for you. And we who know Jesus, we can say with the Apostle Paul, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Jesus became sin, remember? He took the sting right out of death. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. We sang about it through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are victorious in Christ and victorious over death. Now let's use the remaining few moments to describe how to overcome fear the same way that Joshua did. He overcame his fears through Scripture. He heard the voice of God. And remember, the voice of God is Scripture. God speaks to us through the Scriptures. He knew the book of the law. Moses had recorded the book of the law. He was familiar with it. And he heard the book of the law speak to him. And there was great encouragement. There were many promises. Look at verse 3. I will give every place where you set your foot Joshua, as I promised Moses. He had promised Moses repeatedly. That was going to be the destiny of the people of God, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham. And this was brought to his mind. We overcome our fears through Scripture. Scripture, the Bible tells us, is given to us so that we might have encouragement. And encouragement will give us hope. We need hope for living now. We need hope for the future forever. We need hope. That hope is to be found in the truth of God's voice speaking to us through the Scripture by the Holy Spirit of God. We need it. Remember what Jesus concludes with in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. On a foundation. The rain descended. The floods came. The winds blew and burst against that house. But the house stood. Why? Because it was based upon me, Jesus was saying, and my word. We have the word of God. 
for us to be encouraged when the storms of life come sweeping into our lives and people around us are falling like flies because we have Christ in our lives and we have Him giving us His support. He is our companion. He is with us twice, He says in this passage of Scripture to Joshua. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord will be with you wherever you go, Joshua. Don't sweat the small stuff, Joshua. The Lord's with you. He's not only your companion, Joshua. He is your guardian. And that's true for us too. God is our very present help in time of trouble. He is our refuge. He is our fortress. He is our shield. He is our strength. Wherever we go, the angel of the Lord encamps around us as we fear the Lord. And consequently, the Scripture tells us who He is and who we are. We belong to Him. And He has promised to protect us. We are to not let the book of the law depart from our mouth, namely the Scriptures. But we're to meditate on it day and night so that we may be careful to do everything written in it And then we will be prosperous and successful. What is meditation? We speak the Word of God. You have to know the Word in order to meditate on it. No wonder there's such an inferior level of Christianity in the United States of America. Because people don't pick up the Bible. They don't open it. They don't go for fellowship with God. It's not like to them like it was to Jesus Every man is to live, every woman is to live eating the Word of God as his or her daily bread every day. It's that critical. If you want to get over your fears, be a man of the Word. Be a woman of the Word. Meditate on it. In order to meditate on it, you're going to have to spend some time memorizing it. You can't take your Bible to work, probably. Most of you don't own your own business. You don't work in a church like we do, who get paid for what we do. You go and you have to have it in your heart so you can meditate on it day and night. You might say, how do we do that, Mike? Well, I can't tell you how to memorize it. That takes just work. It's applying the seat of your pants to the seat of the chair and opening it and working on it. It's not easy. But the Lord will give you the power to do it. Here's a little suggestion. Write this down, please. The word space and put it as an acronym, one letter under each other letter. When you read the Word of God, you're meditating on it. Ask the Lord, is there any sin in this passage which I need to confess to you and repent of? Any sin. And the P stands, is there any promise? There are lots of promises. There are 7,000 promises in God's Word. Is there any promise that I need to claim for my life? I'm your son. I'm your daughter. You have given these promises to me and you're not a man that you should lie. You cannot break your word. You will do it. The A, any action you want me to take. Is there anything you want me to do that I've been neglecting to do? Remembering that whatever is not of faith is sin. And if I neglect to do something, it's a sin. The C is a command. And some of these overlap, I know that. But commands that are found in Scripture. And then the last letter, E, examples to follow. Lots of examples, right? 
Jesus says, I've given you an example that you should follow in John 13, 15. Follow Jesus' example. Follow Paul's example. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow these biblical characters' example. Joshua, he obeyed the Word of God. Do you know how we know he obeyed the Word of God? He took the people into the promised land. And God honored his obedience. He didn't just simply meditate on the Word of God. He obeyed the Word of God. If we were to go to the 12th chapter, what we would discover in the book of Joshua, under his leadership, 31 kings, therefore kingdoms, were vanquished, defeated by the Israelites. There was still work to be done when he died. And it left was left undone when he left. The Scriptures, the strength of God. Four times, Joshua is told, be strong and courageous. Once he's told, be strong and very courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, the Scripture says, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Where does this strength come from? The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. There's an illustration of this in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. The people had returned from exile. For 70 years they had been slaves, as it were, in Babylon. And miraculously they were set free. They go back. The leader who had been assigned to lead them, himself a descendant of Abraham, his name was Zerubbabel. He had laid the foundation for the rebuilding of the temple. The wall of the city had been repaired in an amazingly short time, 52 days under the leadership of a great leader, Nehemiah. But the building of the temple was given to Zerubbabel. And as he stood there, he laid the foundation. And as he looked on this ominous task, there were detractors there who said, you can't do it. It's not right to do it. People were mailing letters back to headquarters in Persia saying, these people are not following the law of the Medes and the Persians. And so he was feeling inadequate, fearful. And the Lord spoke to him, not by might, that means the power of a charismatic personality, the power of a great leader. We've had many great leaders in our country who had great charisma. Not by might, not by power. That speaks of a word which is always used to describe collective power. It was used to describe the great power of an army. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God. That's how we live this life. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We are in the Word of God. The Spirit of God speaks to us. The God who is revealed in Jesus fills us. And then the result of that is we have the strength to do what we think we cannot do. He does it through us. In Zerubbabel's case, the Bible says that God speaks through the prophet Zechariah. says, by his hand, Zerubbabel has laid the foundation. The implication is, he did that in his own strength. But by that same hand, he will complete the building of the temple. And he did. He did it by the strength of the Lord. The only way we can overcome our fear, it's not in us to overcome our fears. It's in the strength of the Lord. David, he had some fears. He was on the run from Saul. He found himself in, of all places, Philistia. He found himself at the gates of the city 
that Goliath had hailed from. The man whom he had killed. And he's going there for refuge. And he's acting like a madman. He's scribbling on the walls. And he's frothing at the mouth. He really wasn't, but he was feigning the madness. And slobber just came down on his beard, the Scripture says. He was afraid. He knew fear. He was a man of God. Just like Elijah. Just like Moses. Just like Abraham. It's not... I'm sounding like a broken record, but, but just listen. This is what he says in, I, in Psalm 56. He says, When I am afraid... He was afraid. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I trust and I praise, I'm putting my trust in you. And then in Psalm 28, David writes these words, You are my shield and my strength. The Lord is my shield and my strength. And in my heart, I trust in Him. I trust in Him. And I am helped. And my heart, he says, leaps for joy when the Lord is trusted. And we see the Lord work on our behalf. We have this joy inexpressible. It's inexplainable. It's the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, is what the Bible says. We must trust in the Lord. Believe the promises of God. Do you believe what the Bible says? When the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, if you know Christ, that is your promise. He's your companion and He's your guardian If you don't know Him, give your life to Christ. Trust Him. Forsake yourself to follow Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for this day, for the opportunity to worship You. Thank You for the variety of expressions of worship, how we've worshipped You in song and in prayer and in giving and praying for our team that's leaving, Lord, and listening to Your Word And we know our worship is not complete until we apply what you've spoken to us. Thank you for not leaving us to our fears. Thank you for overcoming them in our lives by the presence and the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.